0: Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's
1: ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life.
0: No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions.
1: 18 plus. You guys want to hear the perfect song for a training montage in some 80s movie? Kick it, Sting! This is some intense shit. It's Synchronicity 1 by the police off their 1983 album of the same name. It's also number 448 out of 500 on the Spotify original, The 500 with Josh Adam Myers. What's up, you cadougals? You guys feeling gushploodle or are you guys cuntoodle? Who cares? It's a brand new episode of the only podcast that's going through Rolling Stone magazine's list. Of the 500 greatest albums, thank you for doing the Instagram stories. Everybody, take a screenshot of how you're listening to the 500 and tag me at Josh Adam Myers and put the hashtag #The500Podcast. And if you want your ranking in the Fleece Army, ask me on all social media. Anyway, just say, "Hey, Josh, what's my ranking in the Fleece Army?" Most likely, if it's just a post, you'll be a sergeant. If you do multiples, you get bumped up. You might be a general. Sometimes people are commanders. There's secretaries of the interior. You could be the secretary of the Cadugal if you want that. All right, guys, let's dive into this album. Released on June 17, 1983 and produced by Huge Padgham and The Band, this is the fifth and final album by the British post-punk new wave rock, jazz, and often reggae influenced power trio, The Police. This is the first of four of their albums on the 500. And trust me, this is probably the most pretentious. Formed in London, England in 1977 and featuring Sting, aka Gordon Sumner, on bass and lead vocals, Andy Summers on guitar and vocals, and Stuart Copeland on drums and vocals, The Police were almost immediately popular and became one of the first British new wave bands to break through in America. And by this album, they were poised and prepared to become the biggest band in the world. Sonically, the band had hoped to pare down the layered productions of their previous albums to their unique musical nucleus Sting's powerful tenor vocals and throbbing bass, Andy Summers' jazzy, jangly, and jagged chorusy guitar, and Stuart Copeland's wildly energetic but masterfully controlled drumming. In previous albums, like the 1981 hit album Ghosts in the Machine, Sting was fascinated with the writings of Hungarian-British essayist Arthur Kessler. Kessler's 1972 book The Roots of Coincidence turned Sting onto Swiss psychologist Carl Jung's Theory of Synchronicity, which basically says that coincidences might be ruled by a dynamic order. Sting is quoted saying about this album, Is there any meaning in coincidence? That's what I wanted this record to be about. It's a grand design, but I'm not sure if it comes off or not. What is sure is that this album was equally inspired by the breakup of Sting's first marriage and the personal anguish he was dealing with. This was also the record that finally ended years of a thorny relationship between the three members. As producer Hugh Padgham recalled, the whole record was actually one meaning away from not happening. Or as Stuart Copeland delightfully recalled, the whole album was recorded in an unbelievably bad atmosphere. We hated each other's guts and we had no respect for each other. Actually, I did, but I just felt like a piece of shit. Fuck, fuck yeah, being so self-aware, Stewie. During the recording, the band would have verbal and even physical fights about what part should be played on which song. Could you imagine? I, would li- I wish there was like a GoPro camera set up just to watch how pretentious that fight was. In fact... Having to compromise his musical vision for those intensely personal songs with the other members during recording was so burned into Sting's mind that the resentment carried over onto the tour. It was during the Synchronicity Tour while on stage at New York Shea Stadium while looking out at 70,000 fans that Sting thought, It doesn't get any better than this. We really should stop. Seven months later, the band played their last show of the era, but they definitely went out on top with the multi-Grammy winning and multi-platinum record Synchronicity. Although they later tried to record more, they got sidelined due to Stuart Copeland breaking his collarbone. They only managed to release one drum machine back remake of their 1980 song Don't Stand So Close To Me in 1986, and despite a successful reunion tour in 2007, there was no more new music from the band. But fortunately, we got this album before the police called it quits. We've also got one of the funniest human beings alive to help me review it. And we did it in front of a live studio audience at JFL 42, a.k.a. Just for Laughs Toronto, the one and only Dan Soder. You guys know Dan from being one half of the bonfire on Sirius XM Radio with my boy, my home skillet, Big Jay Okerson. Dan recently recorded a brand new hour special for HBO, and you can currently see him playing the role of Maffee on Showtime's Billions. Dan is a very, very good friend of mine. He's not the biggest police fan. He's more like a Queens of the Stone Age kind of dude. And when it came to doing this live at the festival... We were like, what record do you want to do? And he had picked one that was like a year away. And I was like, dude, that's like a year away. I don't think we can wait that long. And then he looked back, he goes, well, I like the police. So I was like, fuck it, dude, let's do the police. And it's perfect, man, because it's we had such a good time recording this at Just for Laughs. A huge thank you to Nick, Sophia, Donna, and the whole crew at Just for Laughs. We love each and every one of you. Also, to everybody in the Fleece Army that came to see the live recording, Uh, I can't thank you guys enough, man. We were almost sold out, and not only that, but I'd say 60 to 70% of the people there were in the Fleece Army. They were a bunch of cadougals, and I love you guys, man. That really warmed my heart. I stayed afterwards, talked to everybody, signed shit, took pictures. It was the best. Rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe to The 500 and listen free on Spotify or anywhere you get your pods. Follow me, at Josh Adam Myers, on all social media. Email the podcast at 500 podcastgmailcom at gmail.com. And for all things 500, go to our website, the 500 podcastcom Welp, guys, nothing left to say, but... we yeah. With number 448 out of 500... With Think No be by the police.
2: There's a little soda soda in the soda today. Hi, Josh. How are you, buddy? Hi, everyone. I love it. Nice.
1: Small community
2: college lecture.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, so our album today is number four eighty eight out of five hundred. It's the fifth studio album, Synchronicity by The Police. Yes, we got two fans. Good, thank God. Uh, Guys, re- coming out strong. Police fans <laughs> showing up in Toronto. <laughs> Released on June seventeenth, nineteen eighty
2: three. Hey, for- that was I'm not joking when I say this. A week before I was born.
1: Isn't really crazy.
2: I was born June 24th, 1983.
1: Well, this is why you're doing it. I mean, you actually, that's that. actually what that's the album is. That's magic right there, that is, that is actually what the album is about. It's about coincidences. So if, does everybody- Isn't it weird that uh, Sting and my mom
2: said, get this thing out on June 17th? <laughs> 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 well,
1: I was just I just bear down, you bear down, God, Andy. Get this
2: thing out of me. Sting's like, I want to release the record. Get it out of me.
1: All right. So when did you first hear the police? Like what's your experience with them? I um
2: I'm an only child raised by a single parent, so I was alone, so I don't my influences were what I stumbled into. So my musical tastes were like what my parents liked, which they were like bar, you know, my mom and my dad were like drinkers, alcoholics I believe it's called now. <laughs> but uh not my mom, but like my dad, I knew like bar music. I knew like Jimmy Buffett and like Steve Winwood. There's kids that re- Break
1: free. Uh- Love it. Love it. Freedom Your dad overspill. Your just drinking in a bar all low. sad. Yeah,
2: if you want to watch me run through a wall, play Freedom <laughs> overspill. But there was a thing of like, I know friends of mine that grew up like, my dad put on Zeppelin when I was seven. And he was like, son, this is music. And I was like, thanks. I didn't have that. I just knew what they were playing in bars. So I was like. Oh, this song's awesome. And they're like, you have no taste. (laughs) So I didn't learn about the police until I was in my mid-20s. I was telling Josh two nights ago, like, I got into Zeppelin when I was, like, 24.
1: That blows my mind. Because I
2: found it. I got into the Stones at 21 because I was drunk at a bar. And I was like, what's this song? I like this song. And, you you know, and people, like, look down at you. But you're like, I didn't have – I had an older sister – uh, that she influenced me. You know, she was twelve years older. She's my half sister. Yeah. Uh, but she influenced me when I was young enough to be like Metallica, Guns and Roses, that kind of stuff. But I didn't know the classics. And the Police, I kind of would put as classics.
1: Oh, for sure. Yeah.
2: I knew about Sting, but I didn't know about the Police. And so then this album came into my life when I was working at K Rock in New York. I was a radio DJ at two different stations: at KFMA in Tucson, and then uh, WXRK in New York which was K-Rock, then it turned to free FM, then back to K-Rock, and we were active rock. If you know anything about radio, that's like Rage Against the Machine, Tool. It's like fucking gym rock, you know what I mean? It's shit you do deadlifts to. <laughs> yeah, too, dude. You work on like, your Fuck trapsies, you, I'm man. gonna have traps. <laughs> that's the kind of rock it is. And then I loved my job, and we had a really cool staff, and, all, and then all of a sudden they were like, hey, next week we're gonna start playing classic rock. And everyone that I worked with was like, fuck. I was like, what does that mean? They're like, that means there's about to be a format flip. That they're like, CBS Radio was just seeing what worked in New York, and Q104, which is like a huge classic rock station, was really popular. They're like, why don't we do? So out of nowhere, we went from playing Rage to Police Synchronicity 2. And I didn't really know about it. We were playing like Mott the Hoople. And I'm like, it's really weird because you're doing. One, you know, one week you're doing like beds of like, hey, what's up? You're listening to K-Rock. Don't forget to get out to our Monster Energy Drink Jam. (laughs) We're going to bite someone's nose off and you're going to have a chance at $5,000. To like going to no bed music and you're like, hey, what's up, everybody? (laughs) Hope you're doing all right. Here's some Lou Reed. (laughs) Um, But I put on this album for like three weeks and fucking loved it. And was also weirded out by some of it. And, and laughed in certain places where I don't think I was supposed to laugh. But you just catch lyrics and you're like, what the fuck are you guys talking about? But overall, it's, a, it's an incredible album.
1: Before we dive into this record, Fleece Army, I'm here to tell you about the brand new Sonos Move. The Sonos Move is the durable smart speaker for indoor and outdoor listening. Now I have speakers made by Sonos all around the apartment. Well. They sent me the Sonos Move, and I have to tell you guys, it's probably my favorite speaker out of any that I have. What's so cool about it, this one is so movable. You move it here, you move it there, is it's the same size as most of the other ones, but it's got this very easy to to carry handle, and you can move it anywhere in your house. You could take it outside, which I did when I was out playing with the dog but it sounds so good. I can't even go to full blast because it packs so much power. Scared the crap out of my dog. And the coolest thing is the charging station. You can just set up nicely and then you take it off the charging station and you've got 10 hours of battery life. I haven't even gotten to that limit yet, but it's just so awesome. And easily connected to my sonos application or you can connect it to your bluetooth so you don't if you don't have wi-fi around the sonos move is fantastic go to sonos.com to learn more and now back to the podcast the police that i know if you listen to like the earlier stuff like i know all the early hits and i've never actually dived into a record but when i started listening to this immediately i was like Oh, I don't think this is a police record. I think this is a sting record.
2: This was Sting starting to be like uh you could kind of feel like I don't really know I listened to old, you know, some older stuff just to get kind of context of this album, but it definitely did feel like this is when Sting knows he's on his way out and he was kind yeah, of like we should start We should start uh, going to like swingers parties. (laughs) What the fuck do you mean? He's like, right? No, come on, it'll be fun. He's like, ah, man. (laughs) You should be with someone else, I'll be with someone
1: else. It's like, are you trying to fucking slow roll this into you doing your own thing? And he's like, no. Well, whereas I think, whereas I think like the older police, like if you hear like Next to Me or uh, anything off the first few records that I did know about, those are like fun. And it's like, people always say the police are punk rock. And I never got it until I listened to the the non-hit tracks, and I was like, "Oh shit!" No, I see where they got where people think that they're this like they're like up there with the Clash, but then you listen to this, and this is like the exact moment Police was gonna write uh, if I ever if you ever lose my faith in me, it's like so yeah so adult so jazzy, it's so just pretentious.
2: Yes, but that being said, there's songs on there that I was like, I fucking. Murder by Numbers, which I Great think is just going to stay but, in my like, oh, f- like when it comes on, I'm like, yeah, all right. I like I'll sing along yeah. with it, which is how any album usually gets me hooked. There's always a song I didn't expect to, to grab me that grabs me on an album when I end up liking an album. And I'm then like, you oh. just start
1: listening to that song over and when over you and You start over again. with that
2: song and then you get into the other songs and then the other songs start to like, like my favorite band of all time is Queens of the Stone Age. And I usually Great find, band. I usually find by the time I've listened to the album, I'll start with the song I least I like the least, because then that ends up that song ends up usually being my favorite song on the album.:
1: Always. It's always, always the one that you hate at first, that you end up actually enjoying the most. Let's dive actually into the record though. Okay? Yeah. All right, so uh, it starts with Synchronicity One. Uh, Peter play the chorus real quick. Hey, To me, this sounds like there's like 45 different musical styles going on at once. They're all connected synchronatically. I can't know how to. Say. Is that even an actual word? Dude, that's someone synchronically.
2: That wa- the energy of that song is someone that just did two lines of coke in their car yeah. and, and walked into a house party. <laughs> he was
1: like, "What's up? I'm fucking here." I do think this song is perfect. And this yeah. is it. And when I put this on at first, it's I was jam. like, this is how you're starting the record. So, yeah. this is all, every song is going to be at this tempo. And it's what you said earlier. You
2: kind of, if you listen to the police's earlier stuff, you're like, up tempo, fun. Like, all right, this will be a fun record.
1: Exactly. All right. So, this might be the best post punk, Prague influence song about Carl Jung's theory of meaningful coincidence in seven, four time possibly ever. And you know what they say about seven four? Yeah. seven four. Your, your mom's, mom's a, oh, a whore. <laughs> Is that what it is? Will you to call my mom? That's a whore? actually what it is. Filled with lyrical allusions to the possibilities of connections through random occurrences. This is such hot guy being smart rock.
2: Does that make any sense?
1: Yeah. Oh, hundred percent. Sting is such a
2: hot bass player. That he was like, I got this. I'm going to put it in some theory in here. And they're like, all right,
1: sting. Come well, they were the- fighting. This is the other thing about it like, that I found out is that the police, when they made this record, hated each other. Like, they not only got into verbal arguments like in the recording studio, like, they fought while making this record. Like, got Which usually into, means it's going to be good. Usually. And this is a good record. Good record, right, yeah. But this is, this is the sound of the police breaking up. I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChumpaCasino.com. Welcome to the family.
2: VTW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See
1: terms and conditions, 18 plus. Um, but this synchronic- song... Not that synchronatic. <laughs> <laughs> but this song is about so- coincidence. So what pivotal role has coincidence played in your life?
2: Uh, there's just been moments where... It, like, There's been certain moments in my life that are so coincidental base that you're like it's just funny like it feels like a joke like i used to wait tables in manhattan and i worked at k-rock and it did happen we got fired like we started playing classic rock and then one day they're like we're going top 40 y'all are fired so then you i had to like I was scrambling i was like a you know i was an open mic comic i was i was i was on the road but like opening for bobby kelly and joe de rosa and big j yes yeah, so you're getting work. I was getting a little better work, but I was working in the city, but that was my income was K Rock. So when they did the 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 format flip, I was like, shit. I couldn't I was waiting tables at the time. That was my other job, but I kind of had it as like I could pick my schedule, being like, hey, I, I work at K-Rock. This job isn't important. And when you have that kind of energy at a restaurant, they don't really fuck with you. Cause they're like, ah, this we can't really fire him, scold him because he doesn't need this job. He's just doing this job. Uh, You know what I mean? Yeah. As opposed to like, I need this job for money. So when I lost K-Rock, I was like, fuck. So I lied to Dos Caminos and I was like, oh, I got a job at Sirius XM. I'm working at Sirius XM. So I can't work on the weekends and I can't work at night. And they're like, okay. (laughs) So I just got to do stand up and wait during tables. But they wouldn't fuck with my. I don't know if that makes any sense. Like they wouldn't fuck with me because they thought, oh, he's got Sirius XM. I didn't. I lied. That was such a lie. And then I ended up getting enough things through comedy where I could quit waiting tables. And then Big J and I get picked up as a show at Sirius XM and I get a text message that Dos Caminos is closing. And so they're like, hey, we're all gonna meet up, all the waiters are gonna meet up and have a dinner there. And I I left my radio (laughs) show at Sirius and walked to Dos Caminos and I was like, ah, ain't that a coincidence. (laughs) I fucking lied into a <laughs> into a success. <laughs> <You lied on. laughs> so I just want to thank everyone here from Miami. Uh, it's, it's been a long, hard road. Did you? Have,
1: did you, Were you able to have any of the farewell fajitas? Oh yeah, dude. It's, <laughs> it's, I brought it out. They and brought up. And, and then I I became what I hated. I was like, this doesn't taste right. <laughs> <laughs> nah. All right. So then the song goes into Walking in Your Footsteps. Uh, play the yeah.
2: <laughs> intro.
1: They opened the record with one of the best songs I've ever heard them play into some shit that Bobby McFerrin wrote. Dude. <laughs> it's a, and they're giving these like random shout-out to, to random dinosaurs. Dude, it's a dinosaur <laughs> song. Adorable
2: little raptor, that. It's a dinosaur song. Do <laughs> you remember how much you liked dinosaurs before you were 10 years old? <laughs> oh, my God, dude. Jurassic Park almost made me come. Dude, I saw I, was it, 10 I when it came out and I, that was the closest to achieving orgasm I had until I hit puberty. <laughs> I was like
1: dinosaurs! I remember the first time I saw Jurassic Park I was literally sitting in the front row yeah. of like the the local theater and it was just mind blowing. It was crazy. But yeah. I never thought about writing a fucking song about it like Sting. That's what Sting did. He's like he read Michael Crichton's Jurassic Park and he's like, like "Hold I've on. Got- All right, so Brontosaurus, Diplodocus, I'm going through
2: the Cretaceous period, the Jurassic period. I love it." <laughs>
1: So, lyrically, it globalizes Sting's internalized feelings of hopelessness. I guess what he's trying to say by, by singing about hopelessness and dinosaurs is that, I guess he sees this as humankind's own worst enemy, and unlike the dinosaurs, will likely be responsible for their own extinction. All right, so here's your question for this one. This is what we got. What kind of dinosaur are you?
2: Yeah. Oh, I've always wanted to answer this. Sometimes I feel like a spitting dinosaur. You know, the ones that go, yeah. <laughs> But most of the time I really know I'm a triceratops. I'm what? a stegosaurus. I'm, I, I like grass. <laughs> I, too, I too am from Colorado. And if you Fuck with me, I'll swing my spiky tail. I don't know. I had to have something cool at the end. Stegosaurus. What about you?
1: Um, I think I'm a T Rex. Everyone, because on, no, dude. because I just I I, I that's like that's n- like saying you're a bad boy. No, because I I I. No, it's because I, I drop shit all the time with my small okay. arms. I'm, I like, I'm like, yeah, I just, I just knock shit over and I'm big and there's destruction. All right, that goes into Oh My God. Uh, so this song was written years before the police got together and it feels really, really, really loose. Also, the coolest shit about it is that Sting plays the saxophone solo on it. Of course he does. Of course he does. Lyrically, Sting is once again searching for meaning and relief, but also assigning blame to God for not finding it. So he is directly challenging God in this song. Play. Uh... <laughs> what a great way to cue up a clip. <laughs> okay. So this is him directly <laughs> challenging God. We got that. Correct. <laughs>
2: Let's get Peter on. play
1: play a little bit for me. <laughs> This is like Sting's Lieutenant Dan moment, just really like screaming it. at yeah. God. Come like, on! Come on! You call that a storm? Uh, also in a, in a sense, this kind of has this like very porno musicy feel to it. Well, it's like, it's bass heavy. It's got Very like that, bass like, heavy, but it's but it does like this is a song you can fuck to. But then there's this what really made me think it was like porno music. There's this whole section where he just keeps screaming, "Fill
0: me up."
1: Yeah, he's screaming, "Fill." Oh, it's fill it up. Okay, well, that also could. Uh, work. I thought it was fill me up. I like to believe that it's fill me up, Sting. Fill me st- up. Sting, <laughs> sting. What a fun way to ask gets, for sex. <laughs>
2: fill me up, or like I'll fill you. up! I don't know. <laughs> good
1: song. Good song. Uh, it's one of the songs
2: where by the by the fourth time I heard it, I liked it kind of yeah. familiar and you're like,
1: yeah. Yeah, so I had a moment where it was like you said, like I, there's I always have this moment with the record where I'm not really getting it and then like you said, it could be in the shower or just me waking up and walking the dog and I start humming a part yes. of it. And this was the song that got me. But then we go into probably the shittiest track on the record. Mother dude. play nineteen seconds in, Peter. Well, the is, is that my mother on the phone? is, is that my mother on the, phone?
2: the is oh, leave me alone. This is straight up the equivalent of having a conversation with someone and him being like, You ever want to fuck your mom? <laughs> yeah, what's up? What's up, uh, what was that dude? Huh? Like, out of fucking nowhere, we're like, whoa, 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 whoa. what did you just say? And he goes, nothing, man. Just, like, my mom smells good sometimes. So you thought,
1: you thought, you thought Sting wrote this. This actually is. He's the
2: only one I know.
1: That's true. (laughs) This was actually Andy Summers. Uh, Summers explained that the song was inspired by his mom. Yeah. You think? Yeah. You think?
2: Thanks, Andy.
1: Well, here's what he said. He said, "We all have our family situations, and I had a pretty intense mother who was very focused on me. I was sort of the golden child, and there I was, sort of fulfilling all of her dreams by being this pop star in the police. I got a certain amount of pressure from her. Um, you don't connect with mother? Do you hear me, rigging? I
0: don't like it, mummy."
1: Dude, he had to play Andy had to play this for his mom one point. Like what do you think was going on in her Did head when he over this? the
2: studio and goes, "Mother, I'd like you to hear the song that you inspired."
1: <laughs> Are you a fan? Uh, it's it's weird as shit. It's weird. I th- I wrote it's bad, it's a mess, it's ugly. I thought it was it completely is. unnecessary and also not very maternal. Uh, but speak at all that's some odd that's some odd dirt to rub in the wound (laughs) you going by the way it's it's just a it's a gross song like it's just something that on such a great record i i understand why they did it but i just think it's a waste of three and a half minutes of our lives to hear something like that especially especially on your last record like dude when the beatles dropped like their final album which is let it be right like everything on it is Maybe not their best work, but it's still a perfect album. This is what you were gonna leave people with. You want every every song to be like
2: perfect. I'm gonna be honest. The way I listened to the album after like the fifth time I listened, I would do shuffle. I would go to the playlist and I'd pull Mother off. Yeah, it's sorry. The album's a fucking banger when you do
1: that. Yeah, it's the like, dude. It's because you hit Mother. Mother's like, oh fuck, dude. It's like
2: throwing up mid conversation. (laughs) <laughs> it's what it feels like it does like, yeah, dude, we're on the. <laughs> I'm
1: back. Adieu. <laughs> All right, so you talk a lot about being raised by a single mom. Yeah, it's a weird, I didn't realize how weird it
2: was until I got older and gotten into therapy. I always was like, do my mom's one of legitimately, I was, I was just raised by tough women. My mom is really tough. My, my sister was really tough. My grandmother's really tough. My aunt was really tough. Just all these like super strong women and uh, I didn't really realize like how that affected me until I got older and then I was like, oh shit, okay, my mom like kind of felt like she had been through so much shit that I didn't really have anything to compare it to. I don't know if that's like, if that makes any sense, but whenever I'd go through some tough shit, my mom, which was a great thing and a shitty thing at the same time, my mom would be like, you're going to get through this, you'll be fine, keep going, which is great for resilience. But it's not great as far as, like, feel that pain for a little bit. Yeah, Like, when you have siblings and stuff, I think you can go through it. Um, My sister was 12 years older than me. She was from my dad's first marriage. So my mom was her stepmom, so I didn't live with her. But my mom made it sure that she was a part of my life, which was great. But at the same time, when you're alone and you're dealing with someone that's, like, kind of got that mentality, you have a weird gauge system. You don't know how to gauge anything. Because you're like, is this, am, am I right for feeling, like, sad about this? Or should I toughen up and this is just the thing I need to get through? So then you end up not treating, like, a lot of painful things and pushing them down and it becomes self-destructive in certain yeah. ways. So that's uh, kind of why I, I think in comedy I talk about it. Because I'm like, oh, shit. I didn't realize that other only children hear this or someone else that was raised in a similar situation would be like, yeah, I fucking do the same exact thing. Where you, like, I never wanted to be a burden on my mom. I always wanted to help out, which have, is, is, yeah.
1: Have you been able to repay her since, you know? Oh, absolutely.
2: I got to uh, buy her, you know, I'm, I'm not public about it, but I got to, she got into a car accident and I got to buy her a car. Like, I got to buy her, like, a fucking good car. And that yeah. was, like, insane. It was insane, so I love those parts of it, but then there is parts when you're in therapy and my therapist is like, yeah, you got to, you got to confront your mom about that. Like, that's kind of fucked up. And you don't want to do that, but, you know, you get why you can write a song like that or you can have a <laughs> long, intense conversation on the phone. Well, I choose the latter. <laughs>
1: let, let me take it to, to, to a little bit more of a funny version of this. Like, what is the worst thing your mom has ever caught you doing?
2: Oh, fuck, dude. When you're an only child raised by a single mom, it, you're roommates. So it's like, my mom was always really cool about not rubbing it in. Like, if she pa- found porn, she'd just kind of throw it away and then be like, you going to say, so? dude, this is the best one. This is the best one. This is the thing you think of this. So I used to dry hump boxers until I came. I didn't know how to jerk off. I scrooching. I, yeah. That's what I used What's to call it, it. I used
1: to call it scrooching. scrooching. At least that's what my mom called it when she caught me doing it. Yeah, that's She was like, Joshua, stop scrooching on the floor. I love it. Uh, and it's just me dry to, humping the floor. I used to
2: scrooch the shit out of stuff. Because <laughs> I didn't have a dad there to teach me it's about the wraparound piece. <laughs> so I was just hump. I was just, you know, you just do the, the, you the can, fucking. You have no idea. That's our primate <laughs> minds. You're just like, I got that. So I used to like uh, when I was like twelve, I'd like fuck my boxers until I came in them. I just like, yeah, it's a lot. Shut up, we're listening to a porn There's police Nothing weapon. wrong. No, there's. You didn't think it was gonna turn sexual, so, I, uh, <laughs> dude, I remember this clearest day because I didn't know how to take this. So I'd like come in my boxers, and then it's like, yeah, and just put them in my laundry. My mom did my laundry. Yeah. And one time, my mom is just, I'm, I would fold the laundry, my, my mom would wash it, and I would fold it, and I was like folding it, and my mom goes. You know that uh, semen smells. Oh. <laughs> That's all she said. That's all she said, and I was like, "That's what a weird snapple fact." <laughs> <laughs>
1: I just didn't even think about it. Like, I was like, "God, yeah, I mom guess, with all that random information right. again."
2: Yeah, whatever, lady. Thanks for teaching me about life. And then like. A couple of months cool. later, I was like, oh, no, my mom knows I sh- fucking splooge in these boxes. I mean, that's
1: her being cool, too, though. She's like, listen, I know that shit's going down, but I'm not going to make it awkward. Like, you, even with it's the zen,
2: story. That's the zen of Trish. Yeah, but your, just, your
1: mom definitely had a way of raising you. Even though you can hear it in your stand-up when you tell the story about the printer. It's yeah. It's like, your mom's a G, dude. Yeah, my like, mom was like, i not have f- fucking this kid up. Yeah, because it could have been that or could have been your mom like, stop nutting in your pants. Yeah, and then I'd be like, and then, and then just just I'd like, be on stage going, <laughs> mommy, Why? <laughs> Mommy, I cum. Why? <laughs> All right.
2: So th- Instead, I'm like, ah, it's a pretty rational decision by Trish, just to float out that cum smells. <laughs> All right, you know that cum smells. <laughs> All
1: right, so this goes into uh, Miss Gradenko. Uh, I I don't really like this song, but I do like the chorus. So go ahead and play that for me, Peter. This was actually written by Stuart Copeland. So he, re- so Stuart has remarked that he wrote this song as a tiny meditation on forbidden love in a totalitarian regime. Why did? Why can't they re- just write songs where you don't need an ancient transcript to fucking yeah, break these this are shit down? It's
2: super coke heavy ideas. Well, so he was. So I know it's like. S- Okay, so you remember Miss Greta, right? <laughs> so, I wanted to fuck her, but I couldn't. I couldn't fuck her. So it's like fucking nobody's loving so, it. Part- so
1: supposedly while he was writing this, he was really obsessed with George Orwell's book, 1984. And also keep this in mind, the Cold War is still going on when this record yeah. comes out. So this is a totally fucking different time. Also, something that I thought was really cool uh, is that Stuart Copeland's father, Miles Copeland, was the founder of the CIA.
2: Isn't that crazy? Yeah. All right. That's crazy. Here's my stance on that. <laughs> Whenever you find out artistic kids are sons of successful people, it kills my artistic boner for them. Yeah. We were talking about that sense? earlier. It's like n- when you find out nepotism is involved. I d- I'm not saying it was with him, but it's kind of like, ah, man, so you kind of just like had CIA money. And you're like, I'm going to write songs. You know? I, don't, yeah. I don't think you talk like that. But
1: he could, sit, like. he could spend all day just practicing the drums. He didn't have to worry about money. He didn't have to worry about any of I that. I love
2: when I find out it, it someone came from nothing and made it off their talent. That's super inspirational for me. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of what that, it, that does the opposite. We're like, not to take away from his accomplishments. He's I an, he's he's an incredible,
1: incredible drummer. But at the listen, same time. an incredible
2: you... artist that I could name off. But I'm just saying when you find out that they came from something, you're like, shit.
1: So you kind of half did it. Sting was a tax collector. That's badass. Yeah, dude. That's back when he was Gordon. All right. Yes. So now we've come to the songs that I think everybody in the audience is probably going to know the most. And, I, and also, not only are these the hits, but I think that the next few songs and the second half of the record is why this album is on the list. So... We go into track six, synchronicity number two. This is the third single from the record. I also think that this is probably the best song on the album, and it probably has the most iconic O in all of music. So go ahead, Peter, play a little bit of it. This was how side two on the vinyl opened up, and... For this exploration of meaningful coincidence, Sting describes how a disgruntled working man's anxiety physically manifests into the Loch Ness monster. And he paints a picture of it (laughs) perfectly. I love the chorus. Play the chorus because I want to hear that part. Let's hear the chorus. So what he's trying to say is the synchronicity in this song is it's at a Scottish lock and it's inside daddy's head. The monster is coming out of the water and approaching the cottage. Daddy's despair and futility over his life are boiling to the surface just as he's arriving home. So basically Sting assessed the lyrics by saying, I was trying to dramatize Young's theory of meaningful coincidence, but the song was just so rocking. They just...
2: <laughs> they just talked about the Loch Ness Monster? Yeah. I wanted to talk about something cool, but the thing was fucking jamming. Well, hey friends, my name is Zach Luperton. You may know me from the band Dust Bowl Revival, but I also host a music discovery podcast called The Show on the Road.
0: So please subscribe to Nemo the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform. And we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much. We'll be seeing you.
1: So also, but in another interview for this song, Sting said that the Loch Ness Monster represents his penis. Let's talk about, let's talk about anxiety for a second. But let's talk about that. Or we can talk about Sting's dick. Could you whatever?
2: imagine? I mean, all I want to talk about is the fact that you're that proud of your cock to call it the Loch Ness monster. Dude, he called that's it. That's the Sting. guy who shows his dick with his hands on his hips. What? Goes, no one presents goes, like that unless you're a got a sure thing. Like,
1: this is my penis. All right. So, is there a situation where your anxiety bubbled over into Loch Ness monster territory? Only when I've done edibles. But, uh, yeah, man, I think I lock
2: up – I smoke a lot of weed and um, – Yeah, an but
1: you're like – when you smoke weed, you're, you're very talkative. You're so like – Because I'm very anxious to begin with. Mike Vecchione, who's my
2: roommate, who's a fantastic comedian. He's great. And you should go listen to everything he's put out. So I'm sincere about yeah, that. Yeah, 100%. Um, he says there's two types of Dan. – I've lived with him for eight years. And he's like, there's coffee Dan and then there's weed Dan. And he's like, I, I don't like coffee Dan because I'm I'm anxious. I like think I'm anxious just as a person. So if I just drink coffee, I'm just like, "Hey, ah, fuck." And then if I smoke weed and drink coffee, I'm more like, "Hey, all right. Yeah. It's, but the weed will throw me into a panic where I get like these uh, bouts of like heavy anxiety and I kind of have to just sleep. It's the only way I can I have to sleep it off because I'll be like, "Fuck. Oh fuck." Oh, fuck, it's all closing in. But it's uh, that, that kind of anxiety. I think I've had, I have bigger anxiety about, like, uh, I'm always worried people say I'm funny just because I'm a nice person. <laughs> like, that's my anxiety. With the, like, funny joke, I'm like, fuck you, funny. <laughs> but that goes back to not having a gauge. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. If that makes any sense. People, my, uh, another thing my therapist says is he's like, you're terrible at taking in compliments. You don't take in anything. Because I'm like, I think that's an anxiety that if I take it in, I don't know. I definitely say thank you, because I do mean it, and I, I think I definitely do try to take it in, but uh, uh, if, if a woman called my penis the Loch Ness Monster, <laughs> I would probably be like, fuck <laughs> you. You know, I wouldn't be like, yeah, right? I wrote a jam about it. <laughs> 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 he just starts doing that. This <laughs> <laughs> song's about my penis. <laughs> it's like, fuck you, Sting. I was so with you until halfway through that sentence.
1: I, still a great song though. Great song. And then it goes into the one that I think every single person in this room knows, every breath you take. Peter, play a little bit of it.
2: Every breath you take, every
1: move you make. Every bond you break, every step you take, i watching. I'm 39 and it's like I can still pinpoint the exact moment I heard this song driving to like athletic express with my dad sure like it's just such a it just it just it's probably when you think of the 80s it's like this is in the top five songs probably in sales It's now. one
2: of these songs where you listen to it and you're like what a great song and another one of
1: those police
2: songs where you're like w- what did you say he's what? like i'll be watching you and you're like oh, i'm sorry
1: man i think i missed that you say you're gonna be watching me so this is probably the most misunderstood song of all time. This is not a love song, at all. It's written from the perspective of a character with sinister intent, and all I wrote after reading the lyrics was, "This shit is creepy." Play, uh, play minute two, second fourteen, real quick. Oh, can't you- This song, uh, it's estimated to have generated between a quarter and a third of Sting's music publishing royalties. So the majority of his money, I mean, is coming from the song. Dude, this was the best-selling single of 83, and it was also the fifth best-selling single of the 1980s. What's, what's the most insane thing love has made you do? Drive from Tucson, Arizona to Los
2: Angeles with a signed Coheed and Cambria poster. Only for that girl to not pick up my phone call. Oh. Right? If it would have worked out, I'd just probably be in a lackluster marriage right now in Southern California. That's the real. That's <laughs> no. fucking good, dude. I uh yeah, I don't know. Love makes you do dumb shit, but I thought it'd be like really romantic if I drove out to meet this girl and like brought <laughs> a band that she loved <laughs> posters signed. And she's like, please, you're you have to sleep over here. She said that on the phone and I was like, I fucking love. <laughs> I fucking love you and then I just called and she didn't pick up and I was staying at my friend's house and I called again and she didn't pick up and then I drove back with the same poster in the past <laughs> just look over at the poster and you're like fuck you <laughs> I fucking hate this band fuck Coheed and Cambria but honestly they're, they're, you know, they're not that bad yeah I mean love uh, love makes you do crazy what's the craziest shit you've ever done for love <sighs>
1: dude I don't even know um, killed a man You're like, oh god oh shit I don't know You know what's funny Is I don't know If I've actually Really been in love oh. Like I've been In two long relationships And I think the first one I was Like every girl That I get with Has like forced me Like in the first week To like move in Wow It's, it's just like they. You guys burn it, Fucking it's, hot It's just Yeah with, with Britney It was like That's with, crazy She she's told like, me she she's lo- like What's your favorite song Move in <laughs> <laughs> Fucking live with me Well, that's the thing, is that now, now is like, you know, after I've been through two relationships like that, that were really intense really quickly, now it's like I'm making sure that the next one is the girl that I find, one, has a job that she loves, yeah, and so I'm not her hobby, and two... 'Cause that's the worst. It's just like when they like when they have men and, the the and women do this. You should not spend every second together and do everything. You she needs to have her friends, you need to have your friends. And then it's just that Venn diagram where you meet in the middle and you spend quality time together. Yeah. And I haven't been able to find that yet. But, you know, yeah. I'll be watching. He's
2: Yeah, I was gonna say. <laughs> He's waiting for his girl to sing this about.
1: All right, that goes into The King of Pain. Uh, this is the fourth and final single released from this record. What a metal title. Yeah, dude, but it's so unmetal. Play a little bit of it. There's a only- Sting recalled the specific incident that began this song and how his future wife, Trudy Styler, inspired the title. So Sting goes, I was sitting, boping under a tree in the garden, and as the sun was sinking toward the western horizon, I noticed that there was a lot of sunspot activity. And he said, he turned to Trudy and went, there's a little black spot in the sun today. And Trudy probably went, What? Yeah, <laughs> what are you talking about, Sting? Are we going to my sisters <laughs> or not? But she starts. So, that, so this, she patiently waited, and then Trudy discreetly raised her eyes to the heavens, and she goes, "There he goes again, the king of pain." Can you imagine what it's like being married to Sting?
2: You probably say. Shit like that all the time.
1: Just the shit that comes out of his mouth, really? like yeah, I guess <laughs> dinosaurs are cool. <laughs>
2: uh, I would. I'm so insecure that if she was like, "There he goes again, the king of pain," I'd be like, "Hey, c- can I talk to you?" I'd be like, <laughs> I do that. you know, I'd be like, "Hey, are you uh, are you mad at me? What's up? Why are you being shitty? What's that king of pain stuff? Are you all right? Did I do something?" <laughs> <laughs> there he goes the King of Pain. Whoa, whoa what's up? What are you what, are you mad at me? <laughs> yeah, I think it's a fucking awesome song so I immediately listened to it and then I was like, "Oh, I love it. I do love this
1: song." It's a great song. I'd probably put I, it as my second favorite song on the album. You know what? The best part about it is there's this ripping guitar solo at like minute 3. Play a little bit of that. <laughs> Most bands don't backload the record with all yeah. the hits uh, because then the next song is Wrapped Around Your Finger, which is the second single from the record. Uh, although this spacey Turkish influenced song is considered to be about how romantic relationships usually have an uneven element of control in those. But there's also... Wrong. No, it's not. But there's all this like wizardy shit in it as well. Of course there is. So, all right. So... Sting's an undercover nerd. This is the most pretentious one on the record. Because no, but
2: isn't that a proper theory? Can't you see Sting being an undercover nerd, where he's like, "I like dinosaurs," and they're like, "What, Sting?" He's like, "Oh, never mind. <laughs> I'm fucking creepy and dark." And he's like, "Oh, so that's pretty sweet."
1: <laughs> so, so wizards are
2: pretty cool. <laughs> like, fucking nerd. What well, like he has a
1: philosophy a degree nerd. and he wants you to know it. You know what I mean? Like, listen to all the references of shit that I have no idea about in this song. So there's literary allusions to Thomas Mann's 1947 Deal with the Devil novel, Dr. Faustus. Johann Wolfgang Goethe's 1797 poem, The Sorcerer's Apprentice. And Homer's epic Greek mythological poem, the Odyssey. Why can't Sting just be bummed out in layman's terms? Yeah. Like, why does because he have to? I caught to... my girlfriend cheating on me. This song is called Sad. Why can't he just sing regular lyrics like normal rock stars? He has to fucking smarten the... Dude, there's one point in it that he says Mephistopheles.
2: That's pretty badass, though. You think? It's cool. Yeah, it's, it's a cool reference. All right. It's one, it is a thing where he could use much simpler terms.
1: I think it's a great song, though. Play a little bit of it, Peter. So although the song's weaker narrator is kept down by his master, eventually he turns the tables, takes over the power, and gets the master's ring. This is fucking like J.R. Tolkien shit. Yo, dude, Uh, it's nerd stuff. Yeah, yeah. When have you he felt, goes, and in a similar thing, the powers of the crystals are released, <laughs> and then everyone knows that the weaker warlock is now in- <laughs> It's D&D. Yeah. It's D&D in like, music. 13 hits to your weakened <laughs> shield. We're playing Magic the Gathering today, <laughs> and I'm scared to talk- t- Yeah. It's when, when have you felt powerless, and how did you get that power back? Oh, uh, wow.
2: What a fun topic that got (laughs) super personal. Uh, Probably uh, when I I drank, I felt like at the end I was really, I was drinking. I quit drinking like six years ago, and I'd probably say like by the end I felt really powerless over it, like it was my identity. Like I was just waking up and I was drinking not for me, but for other people, and that felt really weird and gross and sad. And then when I quit drinking, I was like, fuck, I was right. That shit... Was You know, I was powerless over it. Yeah. And I got out, and then I was just like, oh, fuck. I, I don't, you know, I can be myself and not have alcohol. I think alcohol has just fucked up my whole family. So it was like watching my family go through all their different stuff with alcoholism than my own. It was like you can't feel powerless to, like, substances as, you know, sucks. You're just kind of like, I need this. And you're like, why do I need this? I don't
1: need this. Yeah, completely. Yeah. I With drinking, luckily I, I had th- I got three DUIs, so it was pretty easy to quit. Damn! Yeah, Did you have the breathalyzer startup? Oh fuck yeah! Dude. Yeah,
2: that's how you know someone can drink. That was the most. If someone Im- goes like this: Hey, sorry, oh. hold on, real quick.
1: Boom! <laughs> like <laughs> <laughs> oh fuck. Do you know how embarrassing that shit was Like when you'd pull up to a light Because you have to blow in it for the car to start And then you have to wait Like it happens randomly within the next like 10 to 15 minutes of you driving That you have to blow into it again Or it'll shut the car down And you're in LA I had a convertible like Jeep And like you pull up to a stoplight And like a hot girl pulls up next to you And then suddenly it starts beeping And so what I would do is just turn the music up And act like I was playing this dope flute Like
2: you go, look at me, I'm air fluting. Also, <laughs> uh, I have one point left on my license.
1: <laughs> so so the, uh... pl- the police guitarist Andy Summers isn't big on this song. Uh, he said in the book, I Want My MTV. I've never been much of a fan of that song, actually. Sting got to shoot his part last in that video and made a meal of knocking all the candles out. Fuck him. Oh, they're cool. All right, Tea and Sahara. This is a good one. It's a little spooky, though. Play, Play a little bit of this one, Peter.
2: That sounds so much like a Cinemax, like detective movie.
1: Oh, yeah, dude, Red Shoe Diaries? Yeah, that's softcore. Like, that's soft core. that's, <laughs> that's soft some softcore
2: soft porn. <laughs> I think I scrooched to this.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's some scrooching music. <laughs> I mean, it's a good song. After the last four songs, I, I don't think it really... It's not bad. I think Done it's better it hold than up first the half of the four. record. Uh, Sting based this on a story within a story from American writer Paul Boyle's, or Bowles, 1949 novel of existential despair and alienation. Right, the Sheltering Sky.
2: God,
1: stop, dude. There's a chapter in there that an Arab legend told about a trio of sisters who invite a prince to have tea in the desert. (laughs)
2: That's fucking
1: And they enjoy it so much that they invite him again. The prince promises to return, but he never does, and the three sisters die in the desert, sand waiting for him. What a
2: hot nerd.
1: What's the worst?
2: This is the worst of two worlds. You're getting the nerd shit and the hot guy arrogance
1: what's the worst you've ever been rejected?
2: Oh <laughs> I got a good one i I've been rejected a lot I think that's the uh, the, uh that's the origin story for any comedian um, if a girl wants to Shut me back down to my shell. Just know the secret code is walking up to me and going, "I love you like a brother." And then I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> "I just become eighth grade Dan again," where I'm like, oh my. Uh, "But I had a real big crush on this girl." Uh, my sophomore year of college, the class was "Love and Eroticism in the Middle Ages." Ooh, yeah. It's a class you go Who to. Who are you, you, Sting? If you
1: fucks. It's <laughs> a pretty pretentious what if, class. What
2: would know, be so funny is if you see an interview for my, uh, me talking about my special, and I'm like, I remember reading Tristan and love <laughs> and eroticism in the middle, of, like quoting it. You're like, fuck you. You're doing a butthole joke. <laughs> but this girl was in my discussion group, and she was from Ohio, and I had like a really massive crush on her. She was just very beautiful, and she was like sweet, and we talk, and I just kind of did that thing where I like, as the semester progressed, I had a huge crush on her. I would show up early to lectures so I could sit by her and make her laugh like an idiot. She had a thick Ohio accent. And one of the last days, she was transferring to Ohio State. One of the last discussion groups were walking out. And I was like, hey, uh, would you, like, want to get dinner or, you know, just, like, hang out some time? And yeah. just in a thick Ohio, Ohio accent, she goes,
1: Dan, I have... A boyfriend, like that. And
2: I was just like, <laughs> <laughs> in the middle of the quad in Arizona, just like fuck it, I'm sorry. And she walked off like a walk-off home run. Oh God, just burned
1: me. You shoot your shot, and she swatted that motherfucker out quick. you tumbled quick. me. It's like no, you you know, house <laughs> of color. All right, now we're here to the final song on the album, which is, I think, your favorite song on the record, right?
2: Besides, King of Pain.
1: Murder by Numbers. Peter, play a little bit of it. This one, it, it, it took a while for me to really. Enjoy it, but once it gets you, it once it gets you, yeah, it really is fantastic. So it's actually written; it was co-written with Sting and uh, Stuart Copeland. Actually, they all three of them did. Even Andy Summers says that he wrote a little bit of it, and that's he created.
0: (laughs) Porn, Satan, drugs, therapy—it's not just the list of what I'm up to this weekend.
1: So this is also about getting away with murder.
2: Yeah. Pretty clear in the song.
1: Yeah. If if you, hypothetically, if you could get away with it, who would you murder and how would you do it?
2: Oh, uh, man. I don't know. Um, man, who would I kill? One shot. And I walk away, free. There's a bunch of really, like, real big pieces of shit. But I'd probably say, I don't know, man. That's a really hard one because it's like, do you want to make it count? Or do you want to make it just like a personal, like, fuck that guy. I'd kill him, knock him off. Because, like, a name that pops in my head is Scott Pruitt the former head of the... It was Trump's appointee for the EPA. The dude's like just... I don't care what your politics are. Oh, what a piece of shit, dude. He's a legit piece of shit. Like, he was a uh, lobbyist for oil companies for, like, 14 years. Made, like, millions of dollars lobbying for oil people. Then he got put as the head of the EPA. I don't give a fuck what your politics are. That's just a shitty dude. He's, like, straight up like, yeah, we should dump in rivers. And everyone's like, what's up? (laughs) And he's like, EPA, baby! (laughs) (laughs) Like, he's fucking... It's, it's almost respectable if it was a villain in a comic book. Oh, yeah, man. But you're like, oh, that, that guy's a piece of shit. But I don't think I want him to die. I think I'd rather him just be fucking mocked his whole life and just told to his face that he's a piece of shit. Yeah. I'd probably say anyone that, uh, tr- like, uh, really hurts children. You know what I mean? Like, I'd want to kill someone that, like, uh, human traffics. But I want to do that hand-to-hand. Have you seen the
1: new Rambo? Uh, no, but that's don't what it's fucking about. spoil I know it is. <laughs> Stallone knows how to get what going. I fucking,
2: dude, if you want to sell a movie to me, get a dad-like uh, main character with gray in his temples that can fight fast with his hands, I'll give you all the money.
1: It's oh, it's great. Taken, it's, it's, fucking it's, Rambo, yeah, those Last are all Blood. great films, yeah.
2: But yeah, I kind of like, uh, you know, who would you murder? Oh, I don't know.
1: Um, come on! You made the question. I, I'd probably like an old boss or something like. You're trying to take off people that could like hurt society. I'd go for. A I just think there's shit. like a lot
2: of people. There's like a lot of people that are hurting uh, people in society that act like they're good people, but really they're like really bad pieces of shit.
1: So I think those are the ones. Yeah. That I would want to kill. The phonies. Death to the phonies. Do you want to do some facts and then get out of here? Yeah. All right. The cover of the vinyl album came in 36 different variations of a strip of individually chosen photos of By each who? band member who fucking under a photos? smeared stripe of either blue. Hot boy had his <laughs>
2: finger on this project. What if we had 36? And there's a guy that works in design and it's like, yeah, we could fucking do that. It's just, my son's turning nine and I promised I would be home, but I guess
1: it's you fucking 36. He's <laughs> like, yeah, we can try it a different, different way. Want yeah. to try it again?
2: Yeah, you want to do it again? Fuck yeah, it's sick. God damn it.
1: <laughs> what is one thing that you try to do differently every day?
2: Um, love life. <laughs> no, I, uh, I don't know. I think when I do stand-up jokes, um, I always like to try to do different tags or say something different in the joke to kind of make the joke, Every t- you know. Every time you do a joke, doing stand-up, you get bored. Oh, for sure. The second a joke works, you hate it. Yeah. She's like, oh, really? That's fucking funny. But if you, I heard an interview uh, with Bill Burr, and he was talking about how he featured for David Tell, and every night David Tell had a different tag for a joke. And I was, I was like,
1: that's a fun, that's fucking great. It's a
2: fun exercise and very hard to do, but also something you can just kind of fuck around with.
1: Even just like reworking your set, just doing this joke yeah. before that, it just, yeah, or just
2: adding something. Some kind of even, excitement, yeah.
1: yeah. All right. In another display of synchronicity, the trio's oh. trademark look of bleach blonde hair happened by accident. The band needed money, so in 1978, they agreed to do a commercial for Wrigley's Spearmint Gum directed by Tony Scott. However, they would- Crazy. However- Dude, Tony fucking Scott. I know, this is Top Gun. Dude, he did Top Gun and he did a
2: double mint commercial?
1: Yeah. Uh, So, however, they would have had to dye their hair blonde. They did, and the commercial was shot, but it was shelved and never aired. The band stuck with the hair color, and it became a winning gimmick. Yeah. How much would you sell out to be successful? Uh, I've already had tastes
2: of it. What have you done? Where like people like I did like that, um, you know, I did a show on MTV called Guy Code, and it kind of felt really, it was fun at first, and then it kind of just felt like disingenuous on my end. Yeah, and I think like those kind of feelings when you do so, like corporate gigs are always disingenuous. But there, are, there's like a lot
1: of money. You know? I think there's. I think there, for for us to be able to stay true to our art, we still sometimes have to do other things to sure. be able to support that art, so we can concentrate on it. So sure. Because I, don't but I that. think
2: that's where it's a slippery slope. Yeah. It's like, what are you actually selling out for? What are you? Like, I I remember when I was still a waiter, I got a commercial agent right when I signed with my manager, and my I told my commercial agent like, I don't want to be on camera. Can I just do voiceover stuff. And they're like, why? I was like, because I don't want to be that guy that's in a bunch of commercials. and mm, also like, Tostitos. Yeah, <laughs> being like, did you make, did you park the car? And they're like, get your insurance. <laughs> and then I'm on stage like, fucking my dad's dead. People are like, all right. Commercial
1: auditions know. are the worst fucking,
2: I mean. Yeah, it's a weird intensity in those rooms. People are gunning for that shit.
1: I remember, I remember one time I had to go in. Not for, to knock commercial No, No, but God it's bless. like you go, in, you, you, you go into a room and when you wait for the audition, everybody looks like you. Yeah. You know, because you're trying to fit like a certain thing. So I go in for this, this Wendy's commercial for the twisted toffee coffee frosty. Yeah. And the only line I had to say was mmm toffee. Like that was it, and then you go into the waiting room, and <laughs> what's so weird is that everybody that looks like me is practicing mmm toffee under their breath. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's like this mm, is mm, what mm. it looks like.
2: They go like this. They go mmm toffee.
1: No, that's not it. Mmm toffee. Yeah. Fuck. So they, but then to consolidate time because we were waiting out there for a while, the casting director comes into the waiting room and she's like, guys, she's like, we're running behind, so we're just gonna bring like nine of you in oh. at once. So we're all lined up, and she goes, so when I point at you, just say mmm toffee. And the first guy goes, mmm, toffee. And I look at him, and I'm like, fuck, man, that's how I was going to do it. So funny. And then they got to me, and I was like, do something to stick out. So I went, mmm, goddamn, that's some good-ass toffee. And they are like, get the fuck out of here.
2: And the director goes, I need to have him.
1: <laughs> that man just had the toffee, I can tell i think there's i think there's like i said man there there's there's levels to i wouldn't do anything and i don't think you would do anything to compromise like your real integrity doing guy code is no like, it was great listen man, great, it, was also an, it was
2: a really fun opportunity to work with like a lot of cool people that i'm friends with still and i liked it and all that stuff but i'm saying like you start to feel it creep in right there because you yeah. start to see other opportunities where they're like how do you feel about hosting a show called i eat my own shit you know, like, <laughs> And then, and then you have your manager
1: looking at you, going, "It's a good opportunity." <laughs> and you're like, "I don't know about that." All right, last fact: Sting, known to be a master at tantric sex, of course, once orgasmed for 14 hours straight. What's the longest you've nutted? I wish his house
2: would have gotten robbed. <laughs> Like I wish you would have been coming and be like, put the TV down. He's like, God, please, oh, fuck. Oh, get oh, fuck. out of the jewel. Oh,
1: fuck! <laughs> <laughs> I'll upstairs. the where keep the jewelry. I'm not, my, so much. Uh, not my oh, favorite God.
2: luggage. Oh, not my God. favorite he's, luggage. Does that mean he's just leaking cum the whole time? He's <laughs> like, oh God, someone help me! You know, like. Does anybody know? You know when dumb and dumber where he keeps filling up the bottles. Where he's like, I need another one. Hold on. Oh, there it is.
1: Oh,
2: God. I can't pinch it off.
1: I think I think tantric sex is is like a it's like a meditation sex where no, you you're like edging, you know what it is? You know what it is?
2: Stopping and edging and stopping and then you come and you're like, man, well, we wasted a lot of time?"
1: No, I think it's like the sex from the movie Demolition Man where you oh. put like the the little headset on, and you're like, "Hi, hi, hi." You start speaking in tongues like you're at Jesus camp. Yeah, then you then you got to get out and wipe your butt with shells. What's the longest you
2: Demolition Man? <laughs>
1: What's the what's the longest like cause anything over twenty minutes is excessive. Like you shouldn't to yeah, be honest, guys. If you're fucking more than se- fifteen minutes. Sex ten minutes. Yeah, dude. Three positions. That's it. Her on, like, top, like on top, you're on top, maybe doggy.
2: I like fucking like I like my heavyweight fights. Under nine minutes with lots of impact. <laughs> so it's like if it goes past the third round, I'm like, this is a lot of breathing and grabbing going <laughs> on and no one's getting really anything done. But those first two rounds, it's fresh. Whoa, (laughs) whoa, whoa! Uh, Fuck like a Tyson match, not like a fucking Lennox Lewis match. Uh, Yeah,
1: dude, you don't need to go twelve rounds. Just a couple quick pops.
2: What are you you trying to take it to the cards for?
1: Yeah, because after after like six seven minutes, man, like you get a leg cramp. It's just you need to take a break.
2: Fucking well, I'm starting to think about
1: delicious cold
2: drinks. (laughs) (laughs) Starting to, you know what I mean? Like I'm not like. That's why that tantric shit's straight up silly to me. I don't want to nut that long. Who wants to orgasm? <laughs> now?
1: Yeah, <it's> just sensitive.
2: <laughs> Can we wrap this? Everyone up? knows the best part of orgasming is the post-orgasm because you're like that felt good, and then you move on with your day. It just makes everything else in your day. If your orgasm's 14 hours, you, you lost a Tuesday.
1: Yeah, but he was probably doing it at like a cottage in Scotland, like He's just you know, sweating, wrapped up.
2: <laughs> like, this is we must hold it as long as possible.
0: Like, He's staying. I got to go to work. <laughs> I'm drowning in your jizzam.
2: <laughs> sorry. Oh, sorry. Forty hours. <laughs> I've changed his accent so many times in this podcast.
1: All right. What are your What are your final thoughts on the album? Thank you for making me listen to it
2: because I don't think I would have else, elsewise. Yeah. And um, I, there, I love King of Pain, I love Murder by Numbers. Uh, there's like songs that I genuine synchronicity to. I, I thanks for making me listen to the album because I think it kind of washed out the bad memories I had of being fired at K-Rock and being scared shitless that I was gonna have to wait tables. So it was like kind of cool to approach it in a place where I'm, do, bless you, uh, where I'm doing comedy and the bonfire. You know doing stand up in the
1: bonfire, and it's just kind of be like, "Oh yeah,
2: now that album make me think of doing the five hundred
1: and not yeah it's it, it for me, I think the police are incredible, yeah this might not be my favorite record of theirs because yeah. I haven't really listened to the other ones, but uh, I definitely love sting. Because I I do like his like really pussy music that he went on to make. Like I love Fields of Gold. I love it. I love it so much. And this is if this is where Fields of Gold came from, it just makes me appreciate it even more. (laughs) Little Danny Soder, ladies and gentlemen. Once again, a huge thank you to everybody at JFL. I love you, Nick, Sophia, Donna, the whole crew. You guys are the shit. For all things Dan Soder, go to dansoder.com. Don't forget to listen to the bonfire on SiriusXM Radio with Dan and Big J Okerson. And don't miss his new stand up special coming out soon on HBO. But we'll currently, catch him on Showtime's Billions playing Mephi. And follow him on all social media at Dan Soder. I'll be posting Dan's Spotify mixtape. And I don't know if you know this, but all of our guests have made Spotify mixtapes for you. So get inside the musical mind of all of our guests. Gives you something to listen to after you listen to the album. And you can find all of that at the website, the500podcast.com. Send us an email, 500podcast at gmail.com. And follow me. I need followers, guys, because that's how the industry dictates how well you're doing. At Josh Adam Myers do it subscribe 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 to the 500 on spotify or your favorite platform to listen to podcasts and if you're listening on apple itunes leave us a rating and leave us a review it takes one minute that's it now we just listened to the police from 1983 for new music this week rmd matt pinfield selected dreamers dreamers are a band who reside in la but come from seattle via brooklyn they're a three-piece with clever songwriting, hooks, and a love for the police. Listen to Dreamer's new single, Die Happy, remixed by UK indie stars The Wombats, on Spotify. And you can find that and everything else at our website, the500podcast.com. And if you're in a band who were directly influenced by one of these albums or artists, and you want your music featured on the 500 website... Send us your song to 500 podcast at gmail.com and make sure you put the album and artists that influence you in the subject line. Next week is Get's Gilberto Week with their 1964 masterpiece of the same name. So y'all got some homework to do. Listen to the record on Spotify. Stay fleecified.
0: is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Hey, this is Scott from Flyin' the Call. Each week I speak to a different musician, whether they're in an established band like Silverstein or The Wonder Years, or band on the rise like Spanish Love Songs, Origami Angel, or Meet Me at the Altar. We discuss music and lyrics, the successes and challenges of being in a band, and more, as we get to the core of each artist. The show features musicians of diverse genres and backgrounds, so there's always a chance I'll be talking to your new favorite band. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com Next Chapter Podcasts